Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. Thanks for being patient. We are back. We're back in action. Right. All righty. I just had to read a secular philosophy to Dre and it all worked out. <laughs> you know, at bed fair for a four-year-old, right? Well, when your dad is trying to get his fucking PhD, that is uh, what you got to do. I don't have time for other books. Um, Dre is pretty bright. She probably gets it. She might. She might understand it well. She 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 does okay. I'm reading a the quick side thing, listeners. I'm I'm reading uh, a book on secularity by this uh, Muslim scholar named Talal Assad, who um, uh, I've read parts of this book before. It's it's you know it's super eggheady. It's it's what is secularity? You know what what does it claim to be? What it what is it really? Because secularity isn't necessarily what it claims to be. And and Talal Assad is this like very brilliant Muslim. He himself is a Muslim, and then and then he is a practicing Muslim, but he's trained as this like anthropologist and philosopher and stuff, mm-hmm. um, political scientist. He uh, um, is kind of like, you know, there's this kind of strange movement among like white conservative Christians that like attempt to question secularity, and they're like, ah, oh, secularism is bad because it because it uh, um, uh, 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 corrupts and 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 persecutes christianity you know when we're just trying to get to stop abortion and kill gay people secularity comes in and, and persecutes us until all assad's like first of all these people are fucking ridiculous like like that's outrageous <laughs> because we all know that secularity primarily exists to persecute islam um and and we and we can point to the way in which supposedly secular nations absolutely have disdain for the middle east you know and, and, mm-hmm. and it has everything to do with their views of, of of islam mostly and he's like and it's not because islam is just this like perfect baby boy that i love but it's because islam fundamentally rejects secularity you know like like in every way it can mm-hmm. um which i always find i always find that fun it, it reminds me of my favorite uh twitter interaction on the mandalorian where all these even these ex-evangelicals are like Oh, the Mandalorian is this extended metaphor about about Christianity, where where you've got the conservative Christians who only wear the helmets, and then the more liberal Christians who take the helmets off. You see what I'm saying? And somebody has to be like somebody somebody has to be like, guys, it's Islam, and they're like, what are you talking about? And it's like it's literally Islam, like it's 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 Bedouin traveling Muslims, you know, and and conservative Islam versus maybe more like like you know, with, without the head coverings, you know, like, like it's, it's literally just desert Islam. Like that's it. And everybody's like, ah, I don't know about that. And this Muslim scholar is like, I do. It's fucking <laughs> Islam. Like, like it's, 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 it's coded as Islam. By the time, by the time you get to book of Boba Fett, he's hanging out with sand people, Muslims, like, like it's, 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 it's Islam. And so I, I, it's, I love that stuff. So forgiveness in, in the system, punishment and vengeance. Say more about say more about punishment and vengeance. You you just spent a good time. It's been recorded, we of course, but you just spent a good time talking about, you know, the way in which you would want to do your job within the system, within the, the penal system, in say um, the three officers who who participated by inaction in the death of George Floyd. 
Right. Well, let me, I mean, perhaps I can best illustrate it by giving you another, another story. Okay. Sure. So I had a detainee this week mm -hmm. that has been having trouble with the phone system there. He's, he's a native Nigerian. He speaks English, but it's very like, he's got a very heavy African accent and the, the telephones operate on a voice recognition system. And his name is very difficult to pronounce and it doesn't like register it. Right. It doesn't register. Now he's, he was in prison. He was incarcerated did like 10 years for fraud and embezzlement and credit or uh, identity theft. So he was basically stealing old people's money was what he was doing. Um, not, not a good guy, but he has been having trouble with the phone system like all week. He can't make calls to his family or anything like that. So he told me about it like Tuesday. We were off for President's Day. So Tuesday was my Monday, if you will. He had been having trouble all weekend. He got there last Friday night and they hadn't been able to use the phone. And I wasn't there to do anything about it. And I'm not really there to do phone stuff. I'm a case manager. I'm there to do court stuff. But he was lamenting that he couldn't get his phone working. And I said, well, I'll, I'll call somebody and we'll see if we can get it straightened out for you. So I did that on Tuesday. Wednesday still wasn't fixed. So I called back and I was like, well, what's going on with this phone thing? And I didn't hear anything, but you know, I did my due diligence. I put in, sure. uh, I sent an email. That was really all I did, but no, no resolution. Thursday comes around. So I pick up the phone this time and call the person. And I'm like, what's going on with this guy's phone? And the answer I got was who gives a fuck? Fuck him. He's a criminal. And I was like, yeah. whoa, hold on a second. Not who gives a fuck. Why haven't you fixed this guy's phone? It's like, well, I haven't just looked into it but you know what's the what's the big deal what's the big deal and i was like well the big deal is that's not part of the plan that's not part of the punishment the punishment is you know you go to jail you do five years blah 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 but you have rights you have the right to contact your family if if you want to add that then you need to go through the legal system and have that incorporated as part of the punishment that you can't talk to your family. Okay. And if that's part of the, if that's part of the drill, I'll enforce it all day long and twice on Sunday. That's fine. But that's not. So fucking fix his phone. And then and today it was working, <laughs> you <Right>. know? <laughs> so we got this idea of people like piling on these punishment because they, they feel that like, Oh, this person is a bad person. So he should, you know, he deserves whatever sort of misfortune he gets. Now, I relate that to like something like the 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 child rapist in Yemen that, mm -hmm. well, this happens all the time in Yemen. But there was a man that raped a 22-year-old man who raped a four-year-old girl and murdered her. He got, he went to prison or he went to court. They found him guilty. They took him outside and shot him five times in the back and hung him in the square from a train or from a, from a crane. You know, this happens quite regularly there. And funnily enough, Ethan, I have zero problem with that. I have no problem with that because that's that that's their system. Like, that's what happens to you whenever you transgress. That's that's how the, the judge sentenced him to death and they carried it out right then and there. And that was the punishment in Yemen. And sure. I funnily enough, as weird as it sounds, I have. No issue with that. 
same guy gets arrested in the United States, I'm going to make sure he gets to call his family because that is part of our system. That is now if the United States government, the United States legal system wants to incorporate that punishment, I'm more than happy to carry it out because it's not one individual taking it upon himself to determine what is or is not justice. That's why I say I'm more of a system guy, right? So like, that's how, that's how I square it. That's how, that's how I can, I can fight on behalf of somebody who's really a dirtbag when you stop and think about it. Now, have I, have I forget, forgotten what, what this man that was having trouble with his phone did to all these victims? No. Have I, have I excused his behavior? No. But I am going to make sure he gets a phone call because he's supposed to, because right. that's our system. If you don't like that, and for the person that, was, that I was talking to on the phone, if they don't like that, then they need to get the system changed so that he's not allowed to talk to his family anymore because fuck him, he's a criminal. If that's the way it is, I have no issue letting that happen. Mm. You see the difference? I do see so, the difference. I, I, it's not it, my, my, my forgiveness of, of this detainee in, is in so much as I, for, I, I expect you to meet the uh, consequences that society has deemed you should meet and not have any more of them piled onto you. Right. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a, that's not justice. Right. Right, right. 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 It's not my place to do that. And, so I don't dwell on the, the crime that got committed. I dwell on the consequences that have been meted out. And I make sure, sure that those consequences are followed. Sure. Sure. Right? I'm, I'm so, with you. I'm with you. I yeah. morally, I'm a little repulsed, but I, but I also, <laughs> but I also get it, you know, not, not at you. I'm not repulsed at you. Like, <laughs> so if I may be nerdy for a second, like sure. the, in liberal democracies, and Matt, you know this. This is this is your thing. Like in liberal democracies, basically, what a liberal democracy is is that essentially, human citizens of a liberal democracy theoretically can do whatever they want, as long mm-hmm. as they don't break the law. You know, and as long right. like, like the laws, we and don't the have- laws are and, and and crucially here, the laws are created by the very societies that call themselves liberal democracies. They're created exactly. by you and me and our representatives to yeah. determine how we want to base our society. Exactly. Exactly. And and so like who who governs in a liberal democracy? Well, in in many ways the answer is nobody governs. The laws are there. Right. right. That, and 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 politicians theoretically are mostly administrators. Like like they're just right. they're just the professional people that we we ask to we 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 elect to come in and sort of run these things right right um in in the 20th century you have this thing called the frankfurt school mm-hmm. listeners go back a little bit and and listen to our great conversation on critical race theory this was brought up a little bit there critical race theory as we know comes out of critical legal studies and also this funny thing called critical theory which has its roots in yes in marxism but pretty much primarily in the the early 20th century in this thing called the frankfurt school anyway um at the turn of the 20th century, you have these, uh, you have a guy by the name of Walter Benjamin, and you have a guy by the name of Carl Schmidt. I've talked about Carl Schmidt before. 
And these two guys are critics of exactly what we have, the system that we have of, of rule by law, right? Like mm-hmm. the law, the law that is agreed upon by in the democratic system governs um, Carl Schmidt, Nazi. Keep that in mind, listeners. You know, every time I bring up Carl <laughs> Schmidt, every time I bring up Carl Schmidt, I'm like, he is an absolute member of the Nazi party. He was a Nazi legal theorist. Hitler gave him a medal and he died in the age of 96 in Argentina. Like the dude is a Nazi, you know, like, like in the period, like, but Carl Schmidt wrote this little book. He wrote it a couple of books. He wrote this little book called political theology. And in this book, he critiques liberal democracies. Um, and they're, they're sort of rule by law by saying that um, two things. One, it's secretly not a rule by law. The, the, Carl Schmidt would argue that, that the laws are illusions because the person who's really in charge is whoever it is that we turn to when the barbarians are about to break down the gate. You right. know, like, and which is why he was a Nazi. He was like, the Fuhrer right. is good, you know, <laughs> right. that's why we have one. Um, but the other thing he, he used to say is, is that uh, liberal democracies and, and sort of rule by law is weak because it's sort of the series of endless talk, you know, mm-hmm. like, like action. It's not designed to do something. It's designed to not do something. It's designed to, to right. do as little as possible, which I think is interesting critique. He's still a Nazi, though, so fuck him. Um, the <laughs> Walter Benjamin, not a Nazi, Jew, uh, tried to escape Germany as Hitler was taking power, couldn't, killed himself at the age of 35. Walter Benjamin, really smart guy as well, um, wrote this really interesting article called The Critique of Violence. And in this article, Walter Benjamin makes a critique of liberal democracies on the left. So so Carl Schmidt is a right winger. Walter Benjamin is a left winger. And and the critique he he makes this sort uh, against the sort of rule by law that you're describing that is that it, it conceals um a number of violent acts within the law. He makes this interesting critique against like penal criminal justice systems as as it was understood, you know, in his time for liberal democracies as uh, n- not primarily being sites in which the law um, is enforced, but rather sites in which laws are made. You've actually described something like that that was happening. Like mm-hmm. Walter Benjamin, if he was here listening to the story, he would say, Yes, Matt, the dude you called attempted to create a law on the, on the fly. Right. And, and, and Walter Benjamin, and I think is right to say this, that happens way too much. Absolutely. And, and, that is, and, and that is a problem. Carl Schmidt would say of your buddy, yeah, you got it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Good job, you know, like, because laws are dumb, you know, right. <laughs> you know it, we should be ruled by by fiat from from on mm-hmm. high. Um, I find that so I find your story so interesting, because the, the liberal democratic kind of rule by law thing, which, by the way, I advocate for, even right. though I even though I like Walter Benjamin more than I like Carl Schmidt, I still uh, Walter Benjamin is also not saying we should get rid of laws. The only one who's saying right. that is Carl Schmidt. But like, <laughs> but like, um, I threading the needle that's what i'm trying to get at like threading right. the needle of our way of doing things is incredibly fragile like like right. you know it requires it requires both a, a commitment like that you're describing and it requires a sort of a constant re reevaluation and, and vigilance when we kind of arrive at laws when walter benjamin says that laws are often 
often conceal more violence than they claim. He he's that's just that's just the nature of critical legal studies, right? Like like critical mm-hmm. legal studies exist to to sort of root that out. Like, yeah, this law sounds good, but this law is going to disproportionately impact these people, and that that can't happen. That's not how the system is supposed to work. Um, like threading that needle is incredibly difficult, and it and it takes a lot of um, discipline, and it takes a lot of um, uh, a commitment that I think that. I, I'm not always sure that we have not, not just as Americans, but just as people. Right. Um, and we, we don't, that's why, that's why it takes certain individuals. Certain people can't do it. You know, certain people just aren't cut out for it. They can't, they can't, they can't handle it. Not everybody can be a judge. Not mm-hmm. everybody can be a police officer. Not everybody can be a corrections officer because like, and I think a lot of people that are in those positions probably shouldn't be I agree. <laughs> because they want to they want to rule by fiat. They get this this uh, sense of, I don't know, power, ego, whatever, whatever you yeah. want to call it. And, and they, they start to think that their ideas are better than the system's ideas. Now, I, this is not to say that I agree that the system is always correct. It's not, sure. you know, and, and it's not to say that I'm a, a ardent, you know. 100% follow the law, whatever the law, whatever the law is, you know, there, there's times where you've got to, you know, be flexible on things. There's been many yeah. a time where I've, when I, when I was a corrections officer, I would find somebody committing an, infrac- in an, an infraction that was relatively minor. And it wasn't like, it was like, well, I'm just going to let that one slide, you know? Right. But right. It, I always feel like it's better to be lenient on enforcement than it is to be overreactive. Because that's where you start violating people's rights. Right? That's where you get George Floyd's. That's where you get whenever you whenever you go to the other direction. And that's not to say that I I think it's okay to to skirt the law. That's not to say that I sure. think it's all right to to just ignore whatever or follow whatever laws you choose to follow. That's not what I mean. It's just that uh, the system isn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect because it's a human system. You know, it was created by people and it's never going to be, it's never going to be perfect, but it's, it's better than um, a million little systems from a million little brains doing their own thing. Right. 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 And that's, that's why I say like, I can, and yes, the system does conceal violence. The system does um, cover up or, or I don't know want to say cover up, but like justify the sure. use yeah, of yeah. violence, right? It does, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not always, I'm not always necessarily even opposed to that. Like I made the 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 thing about the the story about the what happened in Yemen. Like if if somebody did that to my daughter, <laughs> right? I feel you. Um, they better hope the police get to him before I do, because it's going to be a long, slow, painful death, and I will gladly spend the rest of my life in prison to to get my own vengeance for that sort of thing like i but but um so like i don't and in the way that the yemeni laws are set up like that's how they do it and i don't have a problem with that i mean it's incredibly violent but i wouldn't say it's unjustified just because something's violence doesn't mean it's not justified violence right like sure. the uh this the citizens in in ukraine right now who are fighting back against russia 
Uh, they're committing violence. They're committing violence oh, every sure. day. And there's going to be war crimes on both sides. There always is. But would you say that it's unjustified violence? Like somebody's invading their homeland? Not, no, not at all. I, I, I don't view it. Is it good? No. Do I wish yeah. that it what wouldn't happen? Of course. But like it's 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 a reality, sure. you know. And sure. I can get behind a certain level of violence as long as it's justified. And sure. when I say justified, yeah. it has to be just justified by who? Justified by us, society, the system. I agree. I agree with you. I when Walter Benjamin talks about concealed violence, um, what he's really just trying to get at is is violence that isn't really supposed to be there. Right. You know, like like that's really what he's getting at. Like right. like the rule of law is 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 meant to of course violence is always behind laws. Like like that's that's sort of the nature like like what is the if you break the law, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Well, if you break the law, the worst thing that can happen to you is a violence. Like, like, is, mm -hmm. is, is you, your res violence responds to you in that way, right? Right. The, what Walter Benjamin is really trying to get at is the way in which violence, um, is the way in which a system has the ability to, to hide violence that is not permitted to be there. He would just point at George Floyd as the good, as a good example, right. you know, right. like, or, like, or the guy that didn't get his phone call. You know, it's the guy a, who didn't get his phone call. Exactly. Different levels, different levels of violence, but still, you know, yeah. unintended repercussions concealed within the system. Yes, exactly. And and like and so for, in that case, I think it's really good. The essay is really good, by the way. It's a super fucking dense essay, but it's just really, really uh, fascinating um, kind of look at um, what where he sees these kind of structures of violence are kind of at play and, 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 you know, his sort of view of law and stuff like that. It's really, really cool. Right. It's it, it, Carl Schmidt, I guess is cool, but he's, you know, a Nazi. And oh. I just always want to make, so I just want to make that clear. <laughs> I, I, I would love to all those crazy people who are trying to like get, you know, these badge, these bad things out of the school systems. Like all you people are just learning about left wing stuff. And I, all I want to say is, first of all, you don't even know what that is. You know, you like, yeah. a left wing thing. Second of all, I have to read Carl Schmidt. Like, like he's, he's yeah. not a left winger. <laughs> I'm reading a literal Nazi, you, you know, know in, the, in my the, classes. The, the, the first thing that I heard this morning when I woke up, my wife always turns the television on at like 610, right? Whenever mm -hmm. my alarm clock goes off and it's always on the, the morning news. And our our local news is chock full of political ads right now because we're going through midterms and right. Pennsylvania is going to have their senatorial elections and their gubernatorial election and all these state officials are running. And like where I live, we're 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 like scarlet red in this oh, area. Sure. Mm. So like the vast majority of the political ads that you see are from like right wing. In my opinion, right wing nut jobs sure. who are all like. I don't even remember what the guy's name was, but the, the, it started off. The, the, the commercial started off. This is the first thing I saw this morning when I woke up. Like, a, like I didn't even get out of bed yet. It's the first thing I saw. And it was a, a crying baby. And they're like, this baby is a racist. That's what our schools are teaching. That's critical race theory. And I sat bolt upright in bed and I was like, that's not what it is. <laughs> and then he continued to say, like, I'm pro gun. I'm pro Trump. I'm pro-life, blah, 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 blah. And he just went down this list of like stuff that I'm like, dude, you're running for like, you're running for a, a congressional seat in Pennsylvania. 
you can't affect any of that stuff. Like none of that stuff, like on a national level that you're talking about is even in your job description. Like, what are you doing? You're just pulling on, you're just pulling on emotional heartstrings and you're, and you're flat out lying about things (laughs) just to get people riled up to vote for you. That is a flaw in our system, right? Because you're not going to have a level-headed, even-keeled person with with an, an objective rather than a subjective viewpoint going into office who represents all of us now, represents all of us, and says, "All right, this is how this is how we're going to move forward with our system. We're going to have the system skewed one way based on emotion and based on you know passions and and mythology." and and that corrodes the system more than anything i just wanted to that was my morning (laughs) i hear that oh my god i i hear that i that stuff like man i i just one of the nice things i get to do is i get to have conversations with with relatively active church people like politically active church people most of them most of them pretty conservative but like fairly thoughtful and uh, there's this guy in one of the small the small church i have they're both small but the the smaller one um really nice guy conservative guy wouldn't consider him a, a psycho really cool guy and uh we we had a conversation after church about elected officials and and different things and and every solution anybody comes up with is is a solution that's not going to work you know like like in in certain ways same with me you know but but his his solution he's got a decent amount of money and his solution was uh um we got to get money out of politics like okay sure yes uh and and we we can't we can't be paying these politicians and i'm like i'm like well larry trust me if you want to get money out of politics, we absolutely have to be paying our politicians. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, like there's because if you don't have money, if 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 we're not, if we as a people are not paying politicians to work, then that just means people who don't need the money will run. Right. And we don't want them. No, we do <laughs> not. And that's the, that's the thing. Like we, I, I was funny that you bring that up because we were talking about this. I was talking about this with a couple officers the other day and they were talking about how Donald Trump didn't take any money while he was in office. Well, he didn't take his presidential salary. Well, yeah, because he was stealing from, (laughs) he was making money hand over fist with all the other bullshit. he was doing. But I mean, that's beside the point. They're like, well, George Washington didn't get a paycheck. And I'm like, well, okay, (laughs) we're talking about a different time now. Like George Washington also didn't like have a whole lot of people in his ear trying to get him to do things because like there wasn't a country really yet. And like he was the first Democratic elected president. There weren't teams of lobbyists in Congress. There weren't, you know, it was it was kind of a different time, you know, like black people were only one third of a person at the time. Like. (laughs) Right. Like well, there, there wasn't there was a woman who voted for him either. Woman, so. woman couldn't vote, you know. Like, like there it was. It was there were some subtle differences between that time and this time. And if you want somebody to be a full time legislator, then you need to pay them to do it, so that they don't have to worry about, you know, well, how am I going to 
sell this book. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah. interesting that you bring that up. But I, I want to wrap this. Right. I, I want to wrap yeah. this back towards the the forgiveness thing because yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been talking a lot about things that are more along the lines of punishment and vengeance, and I've been telling you about how I'm okay with a lot of that as long as it's within a a, a system that we as a society have developed. Um, do you think that the two are mutually exclusive? Is it is it hypocritical of me to say that I forgive a person yet I can still punish them? I think I don't know. I, I I'm I'm also of various minds about it. I think that um, this is where not, I'm not going to make this about Niebuhr, listeners. I promise. We've already had a lot of <laughs> Niebuhr content, but this is where a theologian like Niebuhr is helpful because he right. he is he is doing his best to think through these things that are ultimately intention because mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, as, as much as I love the big old JC, like Jesus, Jesus was not envisioning a, Jesus is political, but Jesus is not envisioning a political regime. You know, he's right. not envisioning um, how does one govern in a Christian way that that's not a live option for Jesus. Right. That's not a live option for 400 more years after Jesus, you know, like, right. like, there, there is no governing in a Christian way. And so like folks like Niebuhr are helpful because they're, they're trying to come up with a way like, well, how does one govern in a Christian way? Um, I think that if we attempt to look at the sort of ethics of forgiveness of Jesus, we are going to find not a, a, a ton of help um, in um, how to construct policy or legal stuff or, or, whatever that's just there, there's just not a lot of help there um Niebuhr has this really interesting this is this is why I bring Niebuhr up Niebuhr has this interesting notion of of um political systems being haunted by um the gospel and that maybe good Christian political practice in the system Niebuhr believed in good Christian political practice outside of the system Niebuhr for all of Niebuhr's flaws and he had many Niebuhr was like oh yeah Black folks should be rebelling. That's good mm -hmm. Christian political practice, you know, like, like, you know, and it's in favor of a number of things. But like for Niebuhr, like perhaps good Christian political practice within the system is is one in which our policy making is sort of constantly haunted by these by these sort of gospel notions of mercy and justice and, and forgiveness and love. And so I would say like one way the system one way we can think of forgiveness within the system is in what sense would a policy, would a legal policy or, or a legal practice, if we wanted to take forgiveness seriously, in what sense um, is forgiveness haunting this practice? Like, like makes the practice uneasy and then tries to reorient the practice towards something like that. So like, I'll, I'll actually keep it really simple. I, I actually think your approach that you're describing with people uh, is is a decent uh, example of, say, the legal system being haunted by the notion that all human beings are made in God's image, right? Like, like you are doing your best to treat people that many people would say, fuck them, like people, like, like, like mm -hmm. well, no, these are people, like, and, and part of the reason why you can do that is because we have a system in place that might be haunted by that notion. You yourself might be haunted by that notion. But like this idea that, that, that 
people in prison really may have rights, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that people that pe- that their personhood is not tossed out the window, even when they're being punished. Those are things that like I, I think are, are are interesting kind of tense ways in which all of these things can kind of converge together. Um, this is one of the reasons, by the way, that I'm I'm I personally advocate, you know, in my and as much as I do in politics, you know, I don't have a lot of power. But like this is why I, I I'm always interested in uh, supporting candidates or politicians who who believe that um, prisoners either right after they get out of prison or depending on maybe how they put it up while they're in prison, make sure that their right to vote is preserved. Like, because, you know, I know, I know in Florida, that's not the case. Like in Florida, like you, you you just get out of prison and you have to like jump through 80 hoops to be able to vote again. That's fucked up. That's ridiculous. Like, like, right. And that's not what the, that's not what the, again, that's not part of the system, right? That's not right. part of the punishment. That shouldn't be part of the punishment. That was never codified. That that's just like people piling on punishment, right? Like denying somebody a phone call because he was, you know, a criminal. Like it's the same. It's the same thing. And now I I use the prison analogy a lot because I live it every day. But like, I I guess I guess what I would like to say is that I don't think that forgiveness is something that can be legislated forgiveness is something in my opinion that is much more on a personal level and everybody has to get to that level on their own and i don't know how you could possibly legislate something like that what we can legislate is consequences punishment right um and i'm not when i take when i'm talking about legislation i'm not necessarily talking about the government even i'm talking about like when my daughter comes home and she was misbehaving in school you know or whenever she she gives me attitude or whatever she she does something wrong and i punish her i immediately forgive her it's not that i don't love her anymore you know i immediately forgive her but like go clean your room (laughs) you know and i and i don't think that I think that I think that forgiveness and and punishment often get conflated where one can't happen without the other. And I I don't necessarily believe that that's true. I believe that forgiveness can exist on its own and while while punishment or or consequences are still um handed out and it doesn't always have to be like i say it doesn't have to be the prison system that we're talking about it can be something as as, as, as simple as you know how you deal with your child whenever they misbehave right it's not All that right, you don't right. forgive them it's, but they but in order for them to learn that that behavior is unacceptable there has to be a consequence as long as it's not carried out a overly way or um as long as it's not piled on and hung on to, like I, I get on my wife on this a lot because like she tends to get pissed off. And when she's pissed off, like it's going to be a bad day for everybody. So like she'll, she'll yell at our daughter for something and then she'll stay mad at her. Right. And I yeah. think the anger component um, blocks forgiveness. You haven't forgiven somebody if you're still angry with them. Right. What forgiveness is, is letting go of that anger or whatever and being able to move past it, move on in your life 
and still be okay with, you know, whatever the consequences are for the behavior or, or the uh, accepting the atonement, if there is any, from the person that, that, that wronged you. And I think it's also important to point out that a lot of people have problems forgiving themselves. Oh, sure. Things. Sure, sure. You know, I think a lot of people go through life with, and I hear this all the time from the evangelical or the, the, um, I guess recovering evangelicals, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like evangelicals, like, yeah. Like like people that that grew up in particularly evangelical households that had really right. um, damning kind of views on sexuality or you know whatever. And these people carry this throughout their whole lives, and it eats them up, you know. And it causes them immense amounts of stress and immense amounts of you know anxiety, and they're constantly questioning themselves. They've never forgiven themselves for for just you know, being who they are or, or accepting the things that they've done and moving beyond it, you know, like they carry this, this guilt or this, this, uh, anxiety and it, and it ruins them over time and they sure. can never get past it because, because they haven't understood that what, what forgiveness really is and what, what forgiveness really is, 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 is a psychological individual thing that allows you to put past grievances, whatever they may be, behind you and move beyond them. And that's not the same as forgetting them. And that's not necessarily even the same as, as, uh, as it doesn't mean that you um, condone them, <laughs> right? right? It just means that you're not going to let them affect you anymore. And I feel a lot of people in terms of forgiving other people or even forgiving themselves are unable to get to that point. And remember, like the the social function of forgiveness, the moral ethical function of forgiveness is to put an end to cycles that have the potential to just spiral out of control and consume communities or people or, or whatever. And so like I think that if punishment, you know, if a punishment that, that is sort of commingled with forgiveness, you know. Uh, or, or a punishment that 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 is informed by forgiveness is I really just think meant to do that, uh, you know, and that's really the problem with, you know, punishment being piled on, right? Like, right, like the 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 point of consequences for the action for an action, um, and or or why why it is wrong to once somebody has paid their debt to society not allow them to vote, you know, why why that's why that's just incorrect on every level is because you know punishment that's informed by forgiveness is meant to disrupt cycles of evil you know it's meant to bring about uh flourishing and good things not getting sort of our catharsis out there's this mm -hmm. guy by the name of Rene Girard who's this French theorist who writes about scapegoat theory you know in, in, in which in which there's this this human desire to create these sacrificial lambs, these scapegoats that we that mm -hmm. we sort of we sort of unload our our anger and violence on, and and then once it happens, we feel better, everything feels great, we move on. But but like it's it's a made up mechanism. It's a mechanism yeah, but you don't really move on from it. You just move exactly. on to the next one. <laughs> exactly. No, nothing nothing really changes. We just it's just therap it's therapeutic rather than like bringing about like a real fundamental transformation, and and so. You know, there's that scapegoat mechanism 
finds its way everywhere in in the way human beings do stuff but it's it becomes particularly egregious in penal systems and in, in mm-hmm. which in which rather than a, an attempt to cultivate justice or an attempt to bring about human flourishing or an attempt to put an end to cycles of evil we in sin or violence or whatever we scapegoat and we say okay well that's the bad person that we're going to just pile all on and then once they're it, it's a cancel culture i don't think right. cancel culture is real but insofar as it is real it's scapegoating you know like right. insofar as it is real it's just it's just this scapegoating it, mechanism it's this we weird have. it's this weird it's this weird infatuation with tearing down someone else to build yourself up you yeah know? yeah i agree and, 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 but again like the forgiveness thing like if you can't if you can't for I, I feel like a lot of people have problems forgiving themselves and i think a lot of that may contribute to some of the scapegoating that you're talking about Sure. Right. Somebody feels guilty about something in their own past or they, they feel somehow inadequate in their own past. So for therapeutic value, they, you know, beat up on somebody else to make themselves feel morally superior. Right. Mm-hmm. The root of that problem is really something that you haven't gotten past in your own life. Like you, you're obviously not in a good place. Uh, you're not in a healthy emotionally stable place if you feel the need to to destroy someone else to feel better yeah i agree <laughs> right? no, I, 100%. 100%. so i think i think a lot what is your what is your opinion on um self-forgiveness how talk a little bit more about uh yeah. like for example uh, i have a friend who feels a lot of guilt because she's very religious and she feels a lot of guilt about having like premarital sex she feels like she's a slut every time she's around somebody and she's like oh i'm just just and it's like would you get past that for god's sakes like that was like 20 years ago (laughs) it was a while ago yeah Yeah. like but she's still locked in this cycle as you're talking about so Mm -hmm. so how do you get someone to kind of cope with their own moral shortcomings and, and forgive themselves and move beyond it. Sure. Well, I struggle with that. I mean, that's that's a, a part of my personality that I have a, a hard time with. That's where a lot of my own struggles with like self-loathing come from as I yeah. try to navigate messiness and all that. Um, I think for me, it, it's a lot of talking. So in my own pastoral care practices with folks who encounter that, like mm-hmm. I remember, you know, Old church ladies are, are terrible at this. They, they're so full of guilt all the time. Um, but, but I think one way I try to help old church ladies out in particular is to just sort of try to get them to kind of change the way they, they, are, they sort of understand their orientation of their faith. Here's what I mean by that. I think that most, most, way, m- most times people are taught to understand sort of, let's just use Christianity. They're taught to understand their Christian faith as a, as a, a selection of um, prohibitions that if they sort of fit within the prohibitions, if they, if they don't, if they don't go past, they don't go past those boundaries then they're fine. They're good. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they do go past the boundaries, that that's like catastrophically bad. If you recall 
Carrie from Kerwinsville. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Carrie. I'm sure you don't <laughs> listen, but shout out to Carrie. Hope you're doing good. Um, Carrie, you, Carrie's entire understanding of her faith really boils down to two things. One day I will go to heaven and see my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And in order to go to heaven, I cannot break the Ten Commandments. I don't know why the Ten Commandments were her thing, but like, but like mm-hmm. that is that was that was her faith in a nutshell. And right. so, you know, it, it her entire life is sort of then wrapped around um, either managing to to not break the Ten Commandments or breaking them and and falling apart, like just just absolutely falling apart, not knowing what to do. And I guess then the third thing is is feeling like if somebody does break the Ten Commandments, that we're dealing with the scum of the earth, you know, like, right. like these these scummy, awful people. My practice has always been to reshape the orientation of Christian faith to be around what are the things that God calls good? You know, what are the things that God says are good about life? Well, God says family's good. Man, isn't family great? Isn't it? Of course, of course God says family's good. Well, God says that mercy. When you say that to somebody like Carrie, who doesn't have a family. Sure, sure. Then that becomes, <laughs> it becomes hard. I'm not saying it's perfect, but, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just naming things, right? Like, yeah. like God, God wants us to be happy, believe it or not, you know? Yeah. That, that doesn't mean that anything is open to us. It doesn't mean that all things are fine, but like God does want us to be happy. And so to encounter something that makes us very happy and, and, and to immediately distrust it and say, mm, that's probably bad is, is not a very healthy orientation. It's, it's the wrong orientation. That we're trying to cultivate um i might end up cutting this out or at least bleeping a name out just because it's a little more private but like okay one of uh carol you know like carol's first granddaughter lauren was conceived out of wedlock like mm-hmm. that that was this like kind of draw and so like carol tell told me well lauren told me this story <laughs> because carol still won't tell it but but lauren told me you know at, this is a story she's heard since she's you know was born like carol when carol found out that her daughter was going to have a grandchild and it was out of wedlock carol like went to the pastor's office bob cook the pastor from 1991 you know bob he went she went to bob cook's office and basically just had a fucking fit like yeah. like this is fucking ridiculous like like this is I shame, shame on my family, shame on whatever. And Bob Cook very correctly had to be like, Carol, is it good to be a grand uh, a, a grandma? <laughs> She's like, well, yeah. Like, Carol, is it good to welcome children into the world? Well, yeah. I, the, Carol, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you then. <laughs> like, 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 be happy. You're a grandma. <laughs> it is okay. You know, it's not a bad thing. Um, and I, and for me, like, I think that's how we begin to chip away, at least for religious folks, like that's how we begin to chip away at sort of this self-loathing or, or the failure to forgive oneself. You know, of course you do bad things. You know, we all, we all do bad things. That's, that's true. Sometimes we do bad things we don't mean to. And, and it is wrong. I believe it is wrong to ignore it. It's wrong to just be like, Oh, I did this bad thing. I better hide it. Or, Oh, I did this bad thing. I better develop this thick skin in which I don't care. You know, Mm -hmm. no, that's wrong. But, but it is, but it is totally incorrect to, to sort of see it as the defining feature of human life. Like human life is fucked up. It is, but like, we can't actually do human life if we just sort of stop there. 
Um, Fred Rogers talked like that, not to bring up Mr. Rogers may rest in peace, but like Fred, if I've learned one thing from Fred Rogers, it's that Fred Rogers taught me, you know, and taught lots of people, Hey, chill. If you tell a child that they're bastard coated bastards with bastard filling, then that's just what they'll be, you know, like, like, but if instead you tell a child, we all make mistakes, but you're loved and worthy of being loved, you'll be really surprised when they don't become entitled brats, but rather they become functioning human beings that also think other people should be loved and and are entitled to be loved, you know, and worthy of love. You know, they don't, I think common wisdom tells us that if we focus on what we've done wrong, uh, it somehow keeps us humble, but I've, I've discovered the opposite. I've, I think it makes us neurotic, and I think it makes us judgmental assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if we're trained to to see our lives as gifts or to see our lives as good things, even if imperfect, uh, it trains us to not be assholes. And, right. and instead, it helps us see, oh, well, we're all in this together. Things are fine. And I, and I think one thing that, that goes well with what you're talking about is the concept of atonement, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's very important for people to understand is that forgiveness does not require atonement. Sure, Once I you're agree. forgiven, you're not expecting anything in return. Now, if I do something wrong and I want to atone for that, then I haven't forgiven myself yet. There's nothing wrong with atonement. I'm not saying that, that that there's anything wrong with atonement, but like if I if I make a mistake or if I if I do something willfully wrong, then I feel guilt about it, and I feel the need to to rectify that situation, whatever. You know, that's great, but that does not mean that the other person that I've wronged has to forgive me, even if I'm trying for atonement, right? And if they forgive me, then I don't necessarily need to atone anymore because it's they're, they're behind them it's in the in the past you can't change the past like it's it's over it's done move on that's what forgiveness really is so i feel like a lot of the self-loathing that we're talking about is confused with um people trying to atone for whatever conceived wrong or misdeed that they've done and that's why they haven't been able to forgive themselves to truly forgive themselves and move beyond it. Right. Because you're always trying to make up for something. You're always trying to do the right to, to, to cover up whatever that ill was, right. That wrong. You can't live in the past. Right. Yeah. Like you can't, it's, it's gone. It's done. So I think it's important for people to realize the difference, right. If you're still, if you're still atoning for something, then you're not, you haven't even forgiven yourself for it. So like, um, like you were talking about with with Carol, right? right. She mm-hmm. what 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 did, what would she want to happen to atone for her child having another uh, having a granddaughter out of wedlock? Like what could possibly be done to undo that thing? Right? right? It's natural to be angry, sure, because she's uh, uh, one of her principles has been violated, right? right. She's yeah. she's she's been wronged in some way um she's been betrayed in a way by her daughter um for not living up to the expectations that she had but what can be done to atone for it what can what can carol expect 
to make that okay? The answer to that is nothing. Sure. There's nothing that you can do to atone for it. You remain angry or you forgive her <laughs> and you move on. Right. right? So like now a lot like the, my, my friend who's got the, who's hung up on the, uh, you know, having sex prior to marriage, which I, it never registered in my brain. Like I, <laughs> it was never that's a thing just, for that's me. Cause, that's because she got kicked out of Sunday school, man. Yeah, like, I wasn't. I wasn't. Part, bro, I wasn't. You know? I wasn't brought up in that fucked up system that you guys were brought up in. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that 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 self loathing, like destructive. I'm a worthless piece of shit. Like thing that you had drilled into you since childhood. Like, man, I don't understand it. The question I would ask for people that are that that have gone through that is what are you going to do to change it what are you going to do to atone for it is there anything that can be done to atone for it and if the answer to that question is no then you have two choices you either stay angry at yourself or you forgive yourself and move past it right <laughs> right yeah. now like i said this is a process it takes years it's just it's a psychological process it starts with anger sometimes it goes through grief Sometimes it goes through, you know, anxiety. Sometimes it goes through retribution. But eventually you'll come to forgiveness. And I think that whenever Jesus is talking about forgiveness, and I'm not the theological scholar that you are, but I think what he's really talking about is I don't need you to atone for anything. I forgive you. I move on because I'm not going to let it affect me anymore. Sure. Right. I'm not I'm going not going to let that thing that you did affect me anymore, or I'm not going to let that thing that I did affect me anymore. And that is where you get to peace, inner peace. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's where you get to happiness. That's where you get to joy. That's where you get to, I think, what Jesus is what wants for all of us. Right. He wants that peace. He wants that happiness. And you can't get there if 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 you're putting up barriers to it yeah i agree i agree i think that i think that's a good word you know to, to sum up with to to jive with and some of what you're saying that one of the problems that i see a lot of surrounding forgiveness particularly the way evangelicals or really any christian you know kind of approaches it is that it's really understood, and I said this at the beginning, it's really understood as a good in and of itself. It's not. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is a means to arrive at human flourishing in the world. Mm -hmm. That's the answer. You know, your flourishing, your community's flourishing, you know, the church's flourishing, whatever. Um, if the act of forgiveness, so, so described, does not lead to human flourishing, and, and it wouldn't say in the case of like a rapist asking his, his victim, would you forgive me, please, so that we can move <laughs> on? Like, like right. that would not bring about human flourishing. That is not why Jesus commands it. Like, right. like if, if it does not bring about human flourishing, we don't do it. We're not ready to do it. It's not, it's not how it's supposed to work. Forgiveness is meant to create the flourishing. It's meant to, to break up cycles of evil. It's meant to to change, to transform the situation, one's inner self, the person we're forgiving. Like I've encountered all kinds of examples of, of times in my life, let's say at least a few, in which a person's act of forgiving me 
radically transforms me, you know, and transforms mm-hmm. the way in which I understand good and evil and punishment and, 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 and all of that stuff. And, and I become a different person. Like that's the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness can do that. Um, if it doesn't do that, it's not worth our time though, you know? And mm-hmm. so, and so my, by way of my wrap up listeners, all 10 of you, Richie, <laughs> Richie, Elena, shout out. <laughs> you know, Elena listens to us like every week. I couldn't believe really? when she told me. Oh yeah. Why? I don't know. She must like. I wonder if she's always scowling at me. She's so pissed <laughs> off. It's like you just said another dumb fucking thing, Matt. <laughs> Everybody knows the Black Crows are nothing like Aerosmith. You fuck. No, that's. I have, I have to. I have, the reason I haven't put that out yet is because I need to like have some time to like take music and like put it all in and make a back. Well, you know what? Through. You know what's good about that? Actually, when we do those things, they're kind of like not time sensitive. You're right. Like, they aren't a lot, of, a lot of the things that we discuss. Like, if we were to talk about Ukraine today, it'd be weird to put it out like three weeks from now because, like, who knows what the hell is going to happen? Yeah, when, it's, when, now, it, right? when it becomes when it becomes <laughs> Russia minor, you know, yeah. who's Ukraine? Like, like we could uh, we we can get away with with doing like backstreet hookah chats or or whenever we do our pop culture stuff on like the wheel of time or whatever. We can get away with right. letting those ones sit in the can for a while because. You can put those out whenever, but like whenever we do sure. like current event stuff, we need to get that out. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get them getting the material out. But but that's my final word. Listeners, for those of you who are listening, like like allow forgiveness to transform, you know, and 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 bring about human flourishing in everything you do. But if it's not gonna bring about human flourishing, don't do it. Just yeah. hold on to it. Hold and on it, to the resentment. And if you're not ready, don't do it yet don't do it i agree (laughs) don't feel like you have to forgive because i I think that's just as damaging like whenever whenever christians are told like well jesus says you have to forgive so you have to forgive like give yourself the time to do it properly go ahead and feel angry for a while go ahead and feel resentment for a while you know you will the only person that's going to know when you're ready to forgive is you Right. But once you do it, once you do it, you will find that there's a tremendous weight lifted off you. And if you're not, if you still expect atonement, if you still expect restitution, if you still expect um, some uh, equilibrium to your grievance, then you're not there yet. And that's okay. Yeah. No, (laughs) and it is. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, That's a good word. Friends, thanks for listening. It's been an episode of Hooga Chats with Matt and Ethan. We'll see you next time.